Our scripture reading this evening is Romans 6, 1 through 7. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin live still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, we're uh, in the third installment of our Faith and Work series. And we've been using uh, Bob and Shirley as a composite of all of us in our different vocations, kind of a foil for us. And Bob and Shirley, uh, let's say they're the most dedicated churchgoers ever. And they do all the programs and they serve and they volunteer and they go on mission trips and they're just weekend warriors for God. Um, that's really just 5% of their life. And but if you look at their working life, how they spend their time in their vocation in a household economy or in a corporate economy, doesn't matter. Um, f- over a third of their life is spent working. Um, it, it's even, they spend less time with your family than you do in your work. Um, and so uh, the first week is we are trying to buy into this vision of original creation and in this vision of work, uh, That is, when we work, we are reflecting the same God who does the same type of work. So the two ideas that we kind of unpacked there were um, uh, just think of everything that you do in a working capacity. Uh, Think this is that, did you know that God is the most pro at whatever field that is? And that's Okay, that's not very profound. But the second idea, I think, helps us. And uh, it is when you do your employment and your work is you are doing God things. You're doing God things because you're reflecting him as an image carrier, as an image bearer. So you're doing God things when you work. That was the first week. Second week, this is last week, is, um, okay, that's a great vision of what work should be. But we know, and Bob and Shirley know, that they just get discouraged because work, our work is really broken. And it's broken because of the fall. It's broken because of sin. It's broken because of our own rebellion, okay? And it's broken in all the categories of what sin messes up. So it's broken in relationships, and it's broken in physical matter, and it's broken in systems. And our work is frustrated. And so because um, work needs saving, work needs rehabilitation or redemption, uh, it makes us, that fall, that brokenness, that sin, it makes us long for a savior. So this week, um, uh, Bob and Shirley have this question, okay, um, what is Jesus dying 
how does that redeem this work that is broken every day when I go into work? How does Jesus redeem my vocation and my employment? So that's the question that we have. Um, now this doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean that Bob and Shirley um, haven't tried to find other fake saviors to save their work. Um, that's all of us. Uh, we try to find a different savior to fix our work, especially someone not named Jesus. And a big one that I think that we appeal to, the, 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 the one in modernity where everyone is just hoping it fixes everything is uh, technology. And so uh, Silicon Valley has this dream that tech will do good things and will change a lot of brokenness in your work and in my work. Uh, I, in fact, I was reading uh, an article this past week, uh, Charles Ho Hoskinson, um, he's the one that uh, was co-founder, co-builder of Ethereum. It's kind of a cryptocurrency. Um, kind of the next generation from Bitcoin, if you will. But he branched off, he separated from that, and he's building another coin called Cardano, and he envisions this. Um, he envisions decentralized finance using a blockchain that will begin to help um, developing countries. Like he says this, in the next 10 years, you will have the largest transfer of wealth from developing or developed countries to developing countries, he said, we'll have the greatest transfer of wealth in human history because it's going to assist cross-border payments and it's going to open up loans to people that have never had the ability to have loans. And so there's this big utopian vision of like, this will fix something. Um, and they are passionate and ardent evangelists for this idea. Tech will fix something. Now, <laughs> you all know this because uh, uh, we have one of the greatest illustrations of tech that has developed within our lifetimes. Like when I say this, you guys are like, a, yes, we have lived this. I have seen this and experienced it with my own eyes and my own fingers on my phone. And that is this, if you've seen the Netflix uh, documentary, The Social Dilemma, um, the very architects of tech that we have used to reshape our lives and our processes. The very architects in interviews said, oh, 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 we had no idea this big mess we would make with our tech. In fact, uh, in fact, our own children are prohibited from using the tech that we made. You've seen this in our own lifetime. So the utopia that tech promised, the savior to fix work, we have seen unfolded, perhaps made the mess even bigger than before. So we know that. We know that we'll go to false saviors to fix work. Uh, I, I read a book by Leslie Stevenson. And uh, the name of this book is called The uh, Seven Theories of Human Nature. And I'm, I'm not going to go through all of them, but he, he talks about Plato and, and Skinner and Lorenz and Jean-Paul Sartre. And, and he actually puts Christianity in there. And uh, it, 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 it's, it's really fascinating is because when he gets to Christianity, he's, he's not stumped as much as 
sort of weirded out about how unique Christianity is to these other worldviews in the way that they look at life and say, oh, this is the problem with the world and this is what we have to do to fix the world. So for, for example, like Plato thought that uh, phys the physical body was really weak. And so what you wanted to do is to fix the problems with the world because we all have these weak physical bodies is you buffet the body with virtues and discipline and that's going to fix the world. That was kind of Plato's look at the world. So Leslie's looking, I won't go through the other worldviews, but Leslie Stevenson is looking at Christianity and he's kind of weirded out about it because he said Christianity in its tenets um, traces problems back to a broken relationship. And, and Stevenson finds that very, very weird because all these other worldviews are trying to find uh, other explanations. Um, but it's fascinating. And this is why when I read Stevenson, I was like, oh, that makes sense to me as a Jesus follower because I have used work as a substitute for a broken relationship. I mentioned this last week, but I wanna just touch on it uh, maybe a little bit more this week, is I have used work in place of a, a relationship, and I think maybe you have too. Uh, I have used work to deliver to me and my heart and my mind something that only a relationship can do. So let me show you how. So if originally, spoken over my life, Tim Leon, God says, you are a treasured son and you are full of worthwhile and you have great dignity because you carry my image stamped all over your being. What I have done because of my broken relationship with God is I have set aside that truth of my dignity and worth. And what, I, what have I done? I've run off to a project. <laughs> um, I, you guys know that I love kind of dabbling in the graphic arts. And I've noticed like when I complete something and I kind of like it, what do I want to do? I want somebody to see it. I mean, low key, right? I want somebody to see it. And I want them to think, like this is what I demand from my projects and my work. I'm demanding that say, hey, Tim, you've got dignity. You're, you are finally valuable. You're finally lovable. You're, that's pretty great. You're creative. And that's like, like I'm asking my project and my work to say, hey, Tim, you have dignity. You have dignity. So I am running to work to do what a relationship with God delivers to me. And that's what Stevenson is kind of weirded out about, but he gets right about Christianity. Um, it's why I overwork at times. Why? Because I need that constant high of approval and dignity from what work yells back at me. It's why I overwork at times. It's why I 
underwork at times. You can say, hey, Tim, don't we call that laziness? Yeah, we can call, uh, but I like underwork. <laughs> it sounds better. <laughs> it's why I underwork. Because what? I am so discouraged at work not making me what I wanted it to do. Or I run into a project so big that I can't do it and so it can't yell back at me, Tim, you are, you are full of dignity and worth and esteem. See, when we treat work in the place of a relationship, we've got no freedom from that work. It's a treadmill or a chore. Okay. Um, what if, consider this, what if, you, what if we didn't need work to tell us we're lovable? What if we didn't use our work to say, hey, you're so amazing, you're so, you're, you have so much dignity and nobility and, and you are worth it. Like what if we didn't need work for that? Wouldn't your work become something else? Like if you didn't need it for that to communicate dignity, wouldn't your work become something else? because you're not running it for that. Um, um, th there, was a, there's, there was a time, I, in my memory, I, I equate it with maybe the mid 80s to the early 90s, but there was this oversimplistic phrase that people, I would hear elders say, and they would look at a person and they would oversimplify and they say, they just need to get a job. Do you guys remember that? Did you? Did, Parents ever say that about someone? They just need to get a job. <laughs> As if what? As if the mere presence of gainful employment would suddenly confer dignity upon that person. Finally, they're respectable. Finally, we can dignify them, right? Um, I used this illustration last week is, is I have noticed with my kids that phrase, um, you don't want to flip burgers, do you? Like, do your homework, do that. Um, afterwards, someone had a great observation. He said, well, you know what I, I've done with my kids? I've said, hey, you don't want to dig ditches, do you? Um, this is what we've done is that we have belittled certain types of work because we've said, oh, work dignifies the person, Right? Work dignifies the person. Um, so, the redemption of Jesus over work is this, is that Jesus saves us from needing work for that esteem of others or self-esteem. He saves us from that. Oh, I don't need to run to my work for that. Okay, that's part of the redemption of Jesus over your vocation and work. Um, so if Jesus saves us from abusing work to get this relational connection and reconciliation, that would be a sort of freedom because work would have to be something else now. So how so? Uh, I'm going to make it connect. Um, if Jesus is saying this, um, 
I'm going to reconnect that broken relationship between God the Father and you, and it's going to be through my work, and I'm going to reconcile the relationship you have between God and man and man and God. So now because of that, work has to become something else. So Jesus has saved us from something. I don't need to use work for that. But now redemption of Jesus means this, is he's going to save us to and for something. So he saved us from abusing work, but now he's going to save us to work for something beautiful. What is that? Um, And that's Bob and Shirley's question is, what does redeemed work look like in my workplace? What does redeemed work look like in my workplace? Um, And I think a lot of us think like, oh, what if the Holy Spirit really occupied me and then I would become this dynamo at work where I'd probably be more efficient, more productive. I'd lead the team in sales, of course. God number one, you know, right? Like they think it would move towards these other metrics that we assume are, is that what it means? Is that what redeemed work looks like? I want you, uh, and probably not, because I want you to consider something. Most God people over millennia, most Yahweh recognizing, Yahweh worshiping people, most God people and Christians throughout history, in all times and places, most of them have been what we would call hourly employees. Uh, So I think the biblical record, though it includes white collar work, so I'm not not against white collar work. I'm just saying the biblical record shows us that faith, when we talk about faith and work, we're not just having a luxury talk for the well-heeled and the well-educated. Most Christians in all times and places have been hourly employees. Um, So Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 3. I, I think it's one of the most, well, you don't want to, no, I, don't, I better not use hyperbolic language. This is a beautiful passage on faith and work. In Colossians 3, Paul says this. Um, he's speaking to these hourly employees. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. You could put boss there if you want. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, not that way, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Here comes the phrase, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. This is, this is beautiful. Okay. I don't need my boss's approval anymore. I don't need my coworkers. I don't need the peer group in my vocation. I don't need their approval anymore. I'm not working for them. I'm not even working for myself. Oh, now I work for the Lord. That's redeemed work in your workplace. You're just like, I don't work for my institution or this corporation. I work for the Lord. They may give me a paycheck, but I work for the Lord. All right. 
This is what we see from all the biblical authors. That means every part of your work will matter. Not just what's in your job description. So it won't just be productivity. It won't just be the sales and it won't just be the purchasing. And it won't be the justifiable income streams. It won't be the promotion or the pension or the paycheck. Like there, every corner of what you do in your vocation will matter. And it all counts because it's all under, you're working for the real boss now. Um, so, so hear this. And I'm not being glib here because like, I, come on, I talk to you guys. I'm not saying this simplistically. You know the hard thing that you're navigating at work? You know that boss who is evil or incompetent? Have you heard of the Peter Principle? big 70s idea is that people rise to the level of their incompetence. (laughs) So the manager and your boss would be somewhere else if he didn't stink at what he was doing. That's, (laughs) or she, right? It's called the Peter Principle. I don't know how true it is. It was a big 70s theory. But that means there are a lot of people in places that they probably shouldn't be. It means that your coworker who's beyond annoyance and they're an idea stealer and they're a backstabber and they're, they're a gossiper. I could say this, that all of that matters, but I, I, I wanna talk about redeemed work. I'm gonna push it further. I wanna say this, is that God is pleased to have you there. So Galatians 5.1, and this it gets it at the end of Romans, um, that passage in Romans 6. But Galatians captures it this way. Um, it was for freedom that Christ set you free. So it means this, Christ set you free because it's for the freedom of not just you, but it's for for the freedom of everybody around you. Um, there was a, a, a guy I knew, he was a leader in our church in uh, the last church I pastored, and um, he had started his own business. He was a practical engineer, and he, he, it was a very successful business, and he began to hire other incredibly successful, capable people, and, um, and he would develop them, and they would leave. And it was affecting his firm that had grown. And he said, how do I keep, how do I keep these great engineers that I poured so much into? And he had an idea one day, and he is a Jesus follower. He said, I had to give up the business that I started. He said, I realized that until I gave them ownership of the company, that they would never stay. 
They would never work the way I wanted them to work unless they themselves had a piece of the company and the profits. And he said, I had to give up my company so my company would grow and bring greater flourishing than it had ever done before. And this was his line. It has stuck with me for years. He says this is, I am living this life not to become rich. I am living this life to bring life to others. What? That's a Jesus follower. That is a Jesus follower. It, you might as well just put insert life with freedom. I, I'm, I'm here and I've got this business to bring freedom to other people and flourishing to humanity. So their families become better and become agents of freedom wherever they go. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. That's what we're living for. Please don't tell me you're living for a paycheck or some, I don't know, villa in the Keys. Come on. Come on. We're living to bring freedom to place, places covered up in captivity to work. God wants us there. God wants you there. And I mean that in a household economy and I mean that in a corporate economy. Doesn't matter where. Jesus wants his people in difficult, difficult, broken, screwed up places. Places that other people would say, that's irredeemable. God wants you there. Let me tell you a true story. It's about a girl and, and she is working in a, <laughs> I, can only be described a terrifying workplace. And, her parents had been killed and because her parents were defying a leader, a ruler of a, a nation state. And um, the, uh, the, her parents felt like what their, the commands were over their life was unethical and unjust and wrong. And so they didn't do it and they were killed. And so this little girl is basically wartime spoils of these um, pogroms. And she's taken to the estate, this is a true story, uh, of a general of this nation's military. And this is the same man who was responsible for her family's demise and murder, and also um, an entire collective of people who were also not obeying uh, this ruler. She's treated like property basically. And there she is, she is working in his estate and she's trying to perform all of her tasks and responsibilities under this immense trauma. Now this general gets a disease that's going to get him shunned from uh, places of power and privilege and wealth and, uh, it's, it's, it's almost like a leprosy. It's a skin disease. It's killing his nerves. From all accounts, there are probably tumors, some sort of malignancy going on, and it keeps getting work, worse. And the medical community can do nothing for this general. Like nothing is, nothing is working. And so uh, this little girl who's under forced employ uh, tells her manager, basically, she says, I know where he can get that treated. 
time out? <laughs> Can you take timeouts during illustrations? Look, look. Do you care if that dude dies? Like, if you're the little girl, like, do you care if that dude died? Like, do you, that's what he did to his family. And what's going on now? Like, he's the one responsible for this horror in your life. He's the one responsible for you being in this horrible, dead-end, non-career-achieving place that you probably aren't getting out of. Well, I'll tell you this. If you're a child of God, you might know that God has put you there to bring life. He's put you there to bring freedom, health, and flourishing. And if you're a little girl who's been put there by God, you know you don't get dignity from a job, silly. You don't get dignity from a job. You got your dignity from Yahweh. All right, this is a, I told you a true story. Well, this little girl points Naaman, the general, to Elisha. And Naaman gets healed. The horrible boss gets healed. And not just physically, it changed Naaman. In fact, he began to worship Yahweh. And he goes back to the courts in Syria. And he says, he even asks Elisha, he goes, hey, my boss is going to have me bow down. Um, is it okay if I bow down? Because like, I don't really, Elisha goes, go in peace, do that thing. But Naaman's just like, no, okay, thank you for giving me freedom there in my workplace. But he gets cartloads of earth that he brings back to Syria. And he says, I'm going to do an altar and I'll put it on earth from this place where I was healed. And I'm going to start worshiping Yahweh. And then he goes back to the courts, his own workplace, as a Yahweh follower, a life bringer. A life bringer. You know what's funny? <laughs> it's funny to me. You don't have to laugh, but like that was thousands of years ago. And we're talking about a little girl's work in her dead-end job. Redeemed work looks like that. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free to bring freedom to those who are captive to work. That's redeemed work. Let's pray into that. Jesus, your work <laughs> is brilliant. Your work is great. We're still talking about your work. Jesus, bring us to your, bring our hearts and minds to your work. And, 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 and let us, uh, uh, let it roll around in our hearts and minds. Give us joy in it and, 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 and,
Let us marinate in it. Because our work needs healing. Give us that healing. So we bring life to people around us. May your spirit help us. It's in your name we pray. It's in your name we plead. It's in your name that we ask. The greatest working name of all time, Jesus, amen.